Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. It's your host, Mike G. I think this is the one of the first a few times I'll be saying it's your host, Mike Glover, but um, I am honored and privileged to be part of the Black Rifle Coffee family. Been, as an origin story, part of the family, but um, it's really cool having the opportunity to host, and a, a lot of that due to my big-headed friend here next to me, uh, Baker. Thank you mm-hmm. for that. You're welcome. You put in recommendations, and I appreciate you. Well, it's your resume. You're good at what you do. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'm good at talking. That's yeah. the only thing I'm good at. Well-spoken, gentlemen. Yeah. So I'm here with uh, Brand, the CEO of Silencer Central. Um, Silencer Central has come up. I've talked to Baker about this offline. Mm-hmm. It's come up a lot because uh, I think the trend of now the popularity of suppressors and silencers is becoming a more viable and realistic thing for people because of companies like yours. Uh, just for context for people who are listening to this who don't know and understand silencers, kind of the business of silencing. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Um, I just did anyway. Yeah, it's, it's um, now a thing. It's now a thing. It might not have been one before, but it is now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with it. Um, tell us who you are and your background and then how you started Silencer Central. Okay, good. So thanks for having me. Um, Brandon Maddox, um, originally grew up in the South and went to pharmacy school, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Nice. Uh, went to the pharmaceutical industry, um, got my MBA, went to, to Duke, married a gal from South Dakota, started prairie dog hunting, and I found that you could shoot a whole lot more prairie dogs if you use a suppressor. <laughs> And uh, the, the first two I bought, it was a horrible experience. I mean, the gun store warned me. I mean, they just, they, I think most gun stores realize they aren't really set up for it. They're set up for a kind of a single transaction and you leave. Whereas with a suppressor, that could be a fair amount of back and forth. Hmm. So they kind of warned me it was going to be ugly and I wasn't going to like it. And they were right. Um, so, the, the, you know, the first one I bought, I loved how quiet it was, but it was just really too heavy. So the second one I bought, I wanted it super light. So it ended up being uh, short and then it was too loud. So when I got ready to get a third one, I was like, I got to get my own license and do this. So I started out just doing it part-time, selling suppressors at gun shows. Mm. And the license to sell them is kind of expensive. So I was kind of, you know, trying to offset the cost for that. And I just realized there was a lot of coyote hunters up in the Dakotas. You know, sort of the joke is if you call in three coyotes, how many do you want to shoot? And the answer is four. Mm. So the ability to be able to, you know, call in the coyotes and get additional shots with them not being able to tell where it came from was a huge benefit. And that just sort of started the ball, roll, you know, the ball rolling. But uh, we started out as an events company, so we just mostly worked events. So we would do gun shows, sportsman shows. You know, we transitioned to farm shows. Uh, farmers, if they want to buy a suppressor, they buy a suppressor. Gun show, the guy says, I got to check on my wife. So we, we started liking the farm shows. Mm. Um, and then we just gradually expanded. So I started in South Dakota. I just added an additional state. So suppressors are just like a handgun where you can only buy if you buy from a dealer that's licensed in the same state where you're a resident. So to sell a suppressor to someone in North Dakota, I had to have a license in North Dakota. So that was my second location. And then I went into um, Nebraska, and I just did every state surrounding South Dakota. And then uh, Pheasant Fest came to Sioux Falls, biggest event we've ever had in South Dakota um, for as like a trade show. And I sold to so many people out of state, and I realized it was very painful to have to ship it to their local dealer, and then they had to go through the process there locally. And it sort of forced us to think about what does it look like to be even bigger. So currently, Silencer Central has stores in 42 states. And that's how many states uh, suppressors are lawful in. And by 
by us being licensed there, we could do all the paperwork for a customer no matter where they live. And then once the paperwork is approved, everything's done, we can mail it to their front door. Interesting. So you, so when you say like a shop, yeah. it, is it an actual retail location yep. that you can walk in and buy a suppressor? You know, most of them are, are businesses, but typically we try to, just from a process standpoint, almost encourage, encourage everyone to call in or buy online because it's all automated. The whole process is. So yes, we do have a federal farms license and sort of the SOT class three to be able to sell suppressors in each of those states. So we have to have a physical location, you know, employees, so it's staffed. But it's just to keep people from kind of just like showing up. Usually it's another business, like we'll partner with another business and like um, they'll manage everything for us there locally. Like our second location in North Dakota was actually an auto body shop. Guy came to me and said, I want to buy a suppressor from me. And I'm like, dude, I'm not licensed in North Dakota. He's like, how about we put it put together and have a license here in my auto body shop? I got a full staff here. We'll help you manage it. And we'll just trade silencers for my pay. And that was our second location. That's how it started. So he actually sells car parts and suppressors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what about. <laughs> you know about that. Mike. The whole, like, <clears throat> this, in, this is, just blows my mind. Like... I'm fascinated by the process, like how you started to where you are now. And like looking at your background, obviously the MBA helped, but like being a pharmacist, like was this the goal or just kind of the the genesis? I mean, or just the the journey through the process? Like I I don't, I need, I'm trying to get my head around this thing. Okay. Make the connection. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. So um, my wife and I are living in Florida. She asked me, can we move back to South Dakota where she's from? I'm like, if you can make as much in South Dakota as you make in Florida, sure. I thought it wasn't humanly possible. She had a job in about 30 minutes. So oh, wow. my, <laughs> wife, my wife's like, you ought to apply for a job. They're looking for a head pharmacist at Signatel Drug. It's a mail-order pharmacy, and they ship scripts all over the country. And I told her, well, I'm licensed in three states, so maybe they – I said, I'll apply. There's no way they'll hire me. I've never practiced pharmacy. I'm licensed, but I've never – they hired me as their chief pharmacist at Signatel Drug which was a mail-order pharmacy. And that's where I got the concept. We filled about 50,000 prescriptions there a day. We shipped them to every state in the country. And the way it worked is we were physically licensed in every state. So like to ship a medication to North Carolina, you have to be licensed in North Carolina and you have to have a pharmacist license in North Carolina. So you have to be licensed as a pharmacy and a pharmacist to be able to ship to that state. So essentially the state boards of pharmacy created obstacles to make it hard for you to be able to compete with their local pharmacies. So we had all these people that were license in all these states and we had all these state laws we had to follow and you know it was it was an assay but it kind of got into my head once I started doing suppressors and coming so I I moved up the ranks in the pharmaceutical industry and sales so my first job in sales right out of pharmacy school was Panama City Beach Uh, you know I became the number one sales rep in the company not because I was good but just because I worked hard persistent underserved area hadn't been worked very hard Um, and just sort of moved my way up from like sales sales training manager uh, marketing, marketing executive, and moved up the ranks that way. So I had sort of the sales and business background. That's why they paid me to go back and get my MBA at Duke. They paid for it because they said, everyone sees you as the sales guy or the pharmacist. We want you to be the business guy, the marketer. So that's why they sort of forced me. But no, really, I got the idea just working in a mail order pharmacy and understanding all the complexities of every state. Because even now, I have to follow every state law. So when I got licensed in every state, I flew to the state. I physically met with the ATF. I showed them how I was going to comply with local, state, and federal law, showed them how our operations were going to work. Um, you know, ATF brought me to their home office, sat down with me, and they wanted to make sure I knew what I was doing. Because at that point, they said, hey, you have 21 locations, you have 21 pending, and we're going to ask you to do some things that essentially are not required by federal law, but we want you to do them. And if you don't do them, we're not going to issue 
your additional 21 licenses. And I think their concern was, you know, you always, when you work in corporate America, you say you don't want to wake up one day and read something on the front, you know, the front page of the Wall Street Journal. My assessment was the ATF did want to wake up one morning and see, you know, silencer shipped to front door in Connecticut or, you know, it just, it doesn't sound good just right. from a perception. So they put a lot of guide guidelines and sort of additional regulations on me. So from the outside, sometimes people feel like, well, that sounds pretty easy. Just get 42 locations and you can sell the whole country. And other people are trying to copy us and they're finding it's more difficult than they think because the ATF does hold us, in my mind, to a higher standard to make sure that we have guardrails and that we're doing stuff where it doesn't look like it's just a virtual. I mean, we have W-2 employees that, that, you know, they basically work for us all day long at these locations, especially our busy states. Yeah, so Baker turned me on to this. He said, I mean, this is months ago, but he said, hey, I want you to go through a process. And I have an FFLSOT for me to oh, get, sure. get uh, suppressors. My company carries the suppressor. We issue the, the paperwork sure. uh, for the person to ah, use so it. So you are super familiar. Yeah, but yeah. it scares the crap out of me, right? Like, I, I have employees all over the country yeah. that are – carrying a piece of paper, a suppressor, they're driving across different states. Yeah. It's just, it's very unfamiliar territory. Totally. One, one, it changes a lot. But two, it's just not something that a lot of Americans are focused on. Because uh, one of the things that we try to position in our marketing for Phil Cross Survival, the, the company that I run, is why would you not have a suppressor or a can? I mean, uh, the idea that like I, the first time I started talking about suppressors, people were like, "Well, that's dumb. Why would you have a can on your on your gun? Don't you think that's overkill?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm not looking for the tactical disadvantage. I'm looking for the tactical advantage." Yeah. And if you've ever been in a gunfight in close proximity to a gun going boom, it, that's why I get you know disability for my hearing loss because a lot of guns have gone boom when I didn't have ear protection on. And I'm like, one gunshot from a gun at the decibel range that it's going in home defense, in vehicle defense, oh, yeah. in personal defense, could literally send your children into a sympathetic nervous response where they're trying to fight, flight, or, or flee, or freeze, and, and they literally now are not cognitive because you can't communicate to them because they're deaf. Um, they're, they're pinging, they're hitting the red line. And if you had a suppressor that kind of took all of that scary away, yeah. It, it could bring them down to earth. And what, what I realized with Baker, because he's, he's the uh, expert here at Black Rifle Coffee when it comes to hunting, um, I've just got into backcountry hunting with rifle. I've done hunting in, for whitetail in North Carolina, which isn't, doesn't count because you're, like, you're basically giving an invitation, RSVP to the it all bait. It all counts. It, it, all, it all counts. It's all food to the, it all counts. To the plate. But, but I didn't realize that all of these different – um, you know, whether it's hunting, personal defense tactics, nobody focuses on suppressors as being integrated into that. So you go on an elk hunt, we're at Deseret, and I crush a, a, a six by six bull elk, and I'm suppressed, and people are like, dude, did you hear that? Did you? No, you didn't hear it because it was suppressed. I, I heard it from the gun, but I didn't have to wear ear pro. And the guide I was with, I didn't make him deaf. And we were able to communicate and, like, do normal stuff. There's a whole bunch of considerations for why you should have it, whether it's coyote hunting or personal defense. I just find it very weird that, um, I mean, I feel like your focus is the process, yep. which is important, right? the, yeah. the most important aspect of it. But there's also a piece and element in the education of, like, why should you use these? And it, it, it I'm still dumbfounded why we haven't made a mass migration, which I think is an opportunity, obviously, but why not everybody's running a can 
uh, on their on their it, guns. It, you mentioned the Deseret. So you were there when Andy shot his, right? So he was using that 300 Ultra Mag. So I've hunted on four continents, 20-something states. I've done a lot of it. So my primary form of recreation for the past 30 years. And I have never, ever been concerned about one shot. You know, boom, I can deal with that. Or recoil. It's not something I focus on. I was shooting Jamie Nelson's 300 Ultra Mag. Yeah. And I was thinking, as I'm getting set up to shoot my elk, and throughout the – I shot – I killed on, on Wednesday. Started hunting Monday morning. Zeroed that gun Sunday Sunday evening. Yeah. And um, confirmed zero. And I was like, okay, I need to communicate with my guide. I need to see and hear where the elk is. But I'm actually focused on getting the ear pro in because this gun is so loud. And it's, it's physically painful for me. And yeah. I wear hearing aids. And this ear, the hearing in this ear is super bad because of, because of firearms. Um, and I was thinking, I was like, this is such a pain in the ass distraction. Like, I'm sitting here, I've got this elk coming in, and I'm, 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 I think he's going to present a shot. But i got to range him, i got to do all this stuff, and then i got to throw foamies in. And then and the, th- the part that really sucked was when I shot that elk, he was looking right at me, and I shot him directly here. And I had the foamies, and I didn't hear impact. And I looked at Will, and I was like, did you hear impact? Did I miss? And he was like, I don't know. I had my fingers in my ears. <laughs> and the elk turned sideways, and I shot him again. And I was like, he's like, ah, oh, shoot him again. And then he turned around, and I Texas heart shot him. All three shots hit. But it took away from the experience because I'm having to stuff foamies in my ear for fear of damaging my hearing. Because th- and when I say this gun is loud, like, this is a whole different level of loud. Yeah, annoying loud. Yeah, and, like, you don't even have to hit him. You knock him out with the with the, with the the sound it's so loud but no it's interesting you mentioned that because like that's one of those things that you know when you take people hunting for the first time or people that have never been or they're new like that can have a massive impact and like to your point i don't know why we aren't hunting with suppressors more yeah it's it weird. makes the whole process that much more enjoyable it's weird 100 Be- before we talk about the process you're you're in the industry you're in the space you understand kind of the trends of what's happening with suppressors are we seeing a trend of people because of processes like yours or education buying more suppressors or is it kind of generally the same that it's been over the last decade you know there's about three and a half million suppressors in the marketplace and about 2009 is when it started growing between 30 to 40 percent per year so it continues yeah it continues to grow okay but what, what's really helping is the electronic forms the atf implemented last year an all digital process where we can essentially upload everything to the atf for approval and it hasn't really kicked in overdrive as far as being quick yet because they're still focused on all the paper ones that were already in the hopper before digital started Got and they're telling us they're going to flush those out in november so usually the government's wrong so i'm guessing december but if they flush all those paper ones out and then they can devote 100 percent of their efforts on the digital you know we could see you know three month turnarounds on suppressors which i think guys just have a hard time paying for something and not seeing it for a year so when you have a you know a three month turnaround i think it's going to only increase the utilization of it what, what do you think the i mean besides hollywood which is an obvious one what do you think the demonization of suppressors overall stems from because there's like if you're a hunter if you're a tactician you kind of understand the application of why it would be beneficial for muzzle flash for for sound uh certainly i've had personal experiences where i one time made a mistake and shot over a wall dusted myself out under in a gunfight under infrared and was like that's the last time i'll ever run a gun without a suppressor because it all the muzzle all the gas from the muzzle brake broke all the dust from the wall now i probably got that on an extension of that but it wouldn't have been as drastic 
where does that come from? Where does it, where does the culture come from? Or is it just simply the process just sucks? Yeah, so people aren't getting it. Yeah. So good question, because um, I agree with the Hollywood things there. But so what the benefit of me working the gun shows for gosh, I guess I worked them like even now I'll help out. So think of like me 17, 18 years. So we started in 2005. So working these gun shows, 100 percent of the questions, not 90, not 95, 100 percent of the questions are the process. They're just confused. How do I thread my barrel? Can I use this on more than one uh, host weapon? Does the sheriff have to sign on it? How do I get my fingerprints? Do I need a trust? Do I not need a trust? Is it going to slow down my bullet? Who else can use it? You know, there's just like a million questions that they want answered. Um, from a marketing standpoint, that's why I could tell it was going to be a hot item is because my first booth at the first gun show was, you know, like a quarter of a table and I had two used silencers of my own and I had like the biggest crowd at the gun show. So I knew then like, wow, I've got the worst table here, but I have the most interest just because people are trying to learn. Yeah. So it's a hundred percent of the process. So my experience at a show is once they realize that Silencer Central has nailed the process and that we know it inside and out, the next question is how do we get started? Uh, it's just like, you could see that light switch just go off. It's, that's why I called you. Because yeah. like we're, we're friends. We met at Brandon Rock Canyon. And I was like, I think he's just, I'm getting a little extra special treatment here because Brandon's my friend. Yeah. And I was like, Mike, man, like one of the most detail oriented guys I know. I was like, dude, will you check this out, please? Like, because I need to know if this is like legit or not. Yeah. Because, and I think, <clears throat> I always thought that suppressors only were for assassins. And I think the demonization <laughs> is if you think about all the spy movies. Oh, yeah. James Bond, all that stuff, all the bad guys assassinating people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like, that on before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, th I think that's one of one of the the things in is the is the bad guys had them. Totally. You know? Yeah. No, yeah. Totally. To like people like the people the unknown in yeah. society to them. Oh yeah. But I I I never thought I could get a suppressor. I was like, how long does this take? This is exhausting. It's so complicated. And I did the process with you guys, and I was like. So like, what else now? They're like, no, that's it. I was like, no, nah, that can't be it. There's got to be a lot more. Like, Yeah, that's, was... that's kind of what's – like, I, I am not familiar with the suppressor world because I have an SOT. Yeah. Right? It's easy yeah. if you yeah, have yeah, an SOT. Point. Yeah. But as, as a consumer, I went through your process, and what I find interesting is it felt really illegal because <laughs> <laughs> I was, was like, this yeah. can't be right. – like, a dude just called me, and he just told me to hit this link that he just texted to me. And then I clicked on the link, and then he walks me through it. And then he's like, no, 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 not there. Because he sees me scrolling in a certain section. He's like, no, no, let me vector you in. Just go over here. And I'm like, oh, right here? He's like, yeah, just click that. And I'm click that. He's like, all right, this is how we're going to fill out the form. So it's like a person who's virtually walking me through step-by-step step the process. Yeah. Because I just did this with a ballot yesterday. I, dude, I because we never, like, actually write with a pen. Right. And we never do, like, analog processes. Like to sit down with a ballot and like read it, I was frustrated. I was like, I gotta read this, and there's directions, and yeah, and I was all over the place with the thing. But that's similar to what this experience with a suppressor is for most people. They're not used to the process. There's a very fine process that can mean the difference between freedom and being fined or put in prison. And when it walked me through it, um, and then I did the trust. Yeah. Which I wanted to ask you about because I still don't understand the whole whole thing sure, behind trust. Sure, it's like it, we're setting up your trust so you can put the suppressor in your trust. I was like, okay, we we just did that. Sign this, and I'm like, that's it. Like, yeah, that's it. I'll call you back. We'll call you back and let you know when the next process is. They called us back. I got the next process uh, finalized virtually. Signed some documents, and now I'm just waiting on my suppressor to show up in the mail. Yeah, and I'm like, well, that was easy. 
Yeah. I didn't have to go into a store or location. Right, totally. I received a phone call. I got all the assurances from the person. That that outside the podcast, I asked you about IP. Yeah. That seems to be the be like the 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 magic sauce in the recipe. Right. Is that part of it? You know, so good question. So quick backstory. So I went into North Dakota as my second license. And to be honest, I didn't know what I was doing. So I called St. Paul, Minnesota, which is where our ATF is based for the Dakotas. And I asked them, can you help me? Like I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I want to make sure I'm following the rules. And they're like, well, we don't. So at that time, suppressors weren't legal in Minnesota or Iowa. So they're like, we just don't have any experience with them. So they said, call the National Farms branch, which does just suppressors. So I called them. And they're not really set up for like, you know, Q&A and talking. And <laughs> yeah. so I called NSSF, puts on SHOT Show. I hired one of their consultants. Is a guy who had been in the industry, had moved up in the ATF really high. He came and spent two days at my house. And he did the best job in the world. He scared the hell out of me. He was convinced. He convinced me I was going to be in an orange jumpsuit in like 30 minutes. I mean, <laughs> he did a great job. It scared the hell out of me, but it's perfect. It's exactly what I needed. Because like, you can't scale a business unless you understand the rules yeah. and you understand the laws. And in my mind, what's more important? These were all the laws for NFA were written in 38, and so the laws for the you know the regular firearms are written in the 60s. The you know the basically. To be able to interpret those, you have to hear from ATF how they interpret them. Because the laws written at a particular time that now are not as applicable, it's it's almost more important to know how they how they interpret them. So it set me off on a on sort of this journey where I sit on the front row of any compliance meeting where ATF presents and I'm always taking notes, I'm always asking them questions, I submit questions through their formal processes. Um, a lot of the stuff that you went through in the process, we have variances to do differently than other people. It doesn't mean we're better. It doesn't mean that they like us. It just means that I wrote up a process and said, I would like to do this digitally because the Gun Control Act didn't know what a fax machine was. It didn't know what digital was. It didn't know what any of this is. Here's what I want to do. It complies and it doesn't conflict with the current law. Here's how it'll make it easier for you, ATF, to inspect me when you come into my license location. And I present it. Some of those I got approved in a month. Some of them are four years. So wow. I have these variances where I could do things a little bit differently and there are variances per location so I have them in all 42 states these individual variances like everything you were doing digital and all that stuff it's all been vetted by ATF I mean they went through and I had to actually walk them through it with a team of you know 15 people they took notes they come back they ask questions I mean and that would go on for months and then once you nail it Fucking hey dude <laughs> it's crazy oh, my, my mind's melting <laughs> I'm like in chills I know it's like that's fascinating I don't know anyone that's influenced the government that way no no, no. But well, you're you're prompting them for a more optimized and efficient way to do it in real time. How we operate technology. I yeah, mean, I mean, so I have to be careful, right? Because I feel like all my customers hate the ATF. Yeah. Um, but but to me, I accepted the fact that a they're in charge and they get to interpret the rules, whether yeah. I like it or not. Same. Yeah. So basically, I would just sit down with them, and I mean, I've had I've had tough situations with them. I mean, when I told you they called me to ATF headquarters. They told me, they insinuated it was going to be two people. I walked in the room, there's like 60 people. I mean, the lawyers, everybody, everyone and the higher-ups, their goal was to intimidate the hell out of me. And they did a good job. But still, I held my own. Like, hey, I've been doing this since 2005. You know, here's the way I do it. If you don't like the way I'm doing it, tell me so I can fix it. And then we'll all agree before we leave this room and make sure I'm doing it the way you want me to do it. Um, no one talks to them that way. I don't think so either. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. like, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard a person say, I would say your comments about the ATF are neutral at worst. Yeah. Most I don't think I've ever heard anyone say anything neutral or positive about the ATF. I I've, I'm not fans of the ATF. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> but I follow like, the the rule of law. Yeah, but I have an FFL as a team. It's I'm like not a fan. he who has the gold makes the rules, right. and so you're 
you're playing their game. Oh, yeah, 100%. And following their rules. Yeah, and I got to know them when I did these variances because, like I said, you'd submit them. They would actually come to me or I'd have to go to them. And it's, I mean, it's a ton of back and forth. And then people change. So the people you're talking to this week, like a month later, maybe different people. So you get to know all new people. I mean, I feel like I probably know the top 50 people at ATF. Like if I ask them for a meeting at Chacho, I'll meet with the top 50 people. They respect me because they know I know the rules. They know, like we self-report too. If we have something that we did wrong, we self-report. And they actually, they, they place that to our advantage. If they come inspect you, they take that off the list of things that you could be held accountable for if you self-report. So there's a mutual respect there. I mean, So I, they know that you follow the rules. Absolutely. You toe I, the line. Yes, you don't, you don't it, cut corners or any of that stuff or play games with them. No, and they've called me out on stuff they, they thought I shouldn't be doing, and I'm always straightforward and honest. I'm like, yep, I was doing that. I didn't know I shouldn't be. If you want me to stop, we can stop. But you need to show me the statute that tells me I need to stop. Because it's because you wanted me to stop, that's not always going to work. <laughs> yeah. Because I always tell them, you know what? I'd love to take this to South Dakota. The way the statutes are written, it would be in a federal court near the, near the dealer. And I'm in South Dakota. It's about as red a state as you get. And once something goes through the federal courts in South Dakota, it's going to be everywhere is going to be the same. This isn't like SIG going through Boston. This is Silencer Central going through South Dakota. And they get it really quick that I don't want spending money. I don't mind putting it in front of a federal judge because I'm highly confident in South Dakota. So there's like this mutual respect. And our, our U.S. Senator Thune has been very good. If they don't respond to my questions or they don't, you know, if I don't hear from them for a while and I know they're sandbagging, I'll have his staff send a letter up there. They do not like congressional inquiries at all. What, what, is, your, what is your opinion culturally on, I mean, your process is making it easier for American citizens to get suppressors. Right. So what is your take culturally on on how the ATF looks at that? Because I would think if they look at it as like a bad thing, yeah. they would focus on suppressing that. Yes. So here, so here's my perception on the ATF. Um, so I always ask them their opinion because if I hear there's an opinion of a hot button with them, the next time a Democrat gets elected, it becomes an executive order and gets rid of it. Interesting. So I'm always doing a temperature check. They don't see silencers as a public safety issue. And because they don't see silencers as a public safety issue, they're not really after it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like when I have silencers stolen and I call ATF, like if they're stolen in the mail, ATF is typically like, whatever. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's frustrating for us because we got a customer who's like, boy, we want someone to follow up on it or we want someone to check into it. And to them, it's not a big deal. And I'm not saying they're all like that. But in some areas, it's just it's not a public safety issue. But, you know, I don't think they have any problems to make it simpler. I mean, they, they want to make sure I'm follow, following the federal statutes. Um, I think what they're impressed with is I took the federal law the way it's written, weaved it into a process that benefits the customer and the, and the customer and I win and it's by the ATF rules. I'm not in any gray area. I'm not doing anything that at some point they could come back and say this is a gray area. It's 100% by the federal statutes, and I'm working with them to make sure that we're both interpreting them the same way so there's no gotcha. It's too big of a risk for me and my employees or my customers for any gotchas. So I just put everything on a table and make sure that everything's good. It sounds like you're doing a lot of work for them. You're making their jobs easier. You know, I think it makes it hard for them because when I first came out and started like sort of nationally um, promoting this idea, I can mail suppressors to your front door in 42 states. They said they were getting 300 calls a day from people saying, is this legal? How's he doing this? That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like a thousand a day. So, you know, yeah. so like. to get those numbers up, man. <laughs> get those so numbers. one of the top guys at ATF, I mean, here's the way he explained it to me. He's like, Brandon, you're using a federal statute that no one's even looked at in 25 years. So the people who are going to inspect you are not going to even really understand or realize the statutes you're using to operate your business. So when you get licensed in every state, I want you to physically show up live and walk them through what you're doing so that they understand it. So when they do come in and inspect you later, they get it. 
Yeah. So we had an inspection about four weeks ago. We had 100,000 suppressors on the shelf. So it's about $100 million worth of suppressors. Um, they were there last year, so they came back this year. This was a bridge. They found zero errors. They went through all my paperwork for the last 12 months. They found zero errors. It's all that. computerized. It's yeah. like, I mean, of course, I was bragging about it. I was at the ATF headquarters the other day with a meeting, and I was like, guys, can you believe I got zero? They're like, no, there's got to be human <laughs> error or something. I'm like, no, it's computerized. Like, yeah. it, it checks to make sure that they're answering it correctly. If they don't, you know, it just it gets rid of the whole transfer but yeah they were super impressed i mean we're very buttoned down just from like a technology standpoint and having the suppressors organized so we know where they're at to them that was a huge deal to be able to walk in and there's a hundred thousand suppressors and they did a full day of sort of like random audits trying to find stuff thousand suppressors do you think that they want to find errors in your system i mean do you think they're like like oh i mean i hope hope we get 10 today or whatever i think it's individually based and i do find in blue states it's worse Really? If a person is a gun person and they walk in there to do the audit, I think that they get it and they work with you. And I and to be a hundred cooperative. Yes, hundred percent. That's the right word. Yeah. If they're not a gun person, like when I live in New Jersey, and they're like, "How many guns do you own?" They're like, well, "Why would anyone need that many guns?" Like those, those are the kind of people that. Not that I'm licensed in New Jersey, but just if like if I'm in Oregon or if I'm in some blue states, and you meet with some people, you could tell they've just been in the federal government, and moved around different places. And they're not Bureaucrats. a gun person. Yeah, they just you could tell they're a little. Eh. But I know pretty much everyone at the top from like a personal level, like worked with them one on one. So I don't have a hard time saying, hey, you know, when Marvin Richardson, who at the time was the acting director, came and visited our facility here, he, here's some of the questions he had. You know, just let them know that I have talked to all these people at different levels to try to understand where the agency's at and where they've been and where they're going. But you don't get, you don't have a feeling or have any indications that they're trying to suppress. I mean, your your company at no, all because no. of the amount of sales no 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 not not at all i don't sense that um i mean i do worry about some of the people that get appointed who come in because i feel like i know the people that are sort of the lifers if you will yeah that have been a part of the bureaucracy yeah. for the rank and file yeah you know i was always told that we really really wanted trump to appoint ahead of the atf because if he had they bring in their own legal and i talked earlier a lot of it's open to interpretation gun control act national firearms act it's so old that a lot of it's open to interpretation so you really want your party to appoint the head of the ATF because then they bring their own legal staff in and then things are open to interpretation, which are positive to you. So yeah. unfortunately, we have a Democrat in there now. I feel like they've got bigger fish to fry where they're focused on other issues. So I don't anticipate suppressors being an issue. And like I said, I was there a couple weeks ago at the headquarters and I asked, any problems with my processes? Any problems with NFA? Any problems with silencers? Any, you know, I'm temperature checking them the whole time I'm talking to them, just waiting to hear if there's anything they're worried about. I don't sense it. Black Friday is here and Black Rifle Coffee Company is kicking off its biggest sale of the year to help you get your holiday shopping done right. Shop 30% off site-wide, including 30% off your first month when you join Black Rifle Coffee Club. Joining the coffee club is a super convenient and customizable way to get your coffee delivered right to your door on whatever schedule works for you. Plus, you can change it whenever you like, free of charge. These Black Friday deals are absolutely insane with discounts up to 70% off on some products. Head to BlackRifleCoffee.com and take advantage of these incredible deals on all our best merch, gear, and coffee roasts. Interesting. Interesting. So when I look at suppressors, and I mean, I, 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 I think that all suppressors should be just open. You should be able to walk into totally. a Walmart and buy a suppressor. Yeah. Because they're, I mean. They're, That's how it is in Africa. Like literally, like this is the thing that you need to train in your own backyard without annoying totally. your neighbors, all these different uh, community shutting down local ranges because of noise ordinance. Yeah. I'm like, if they were all suppressed, they, we wouldn't have that issue. But when when it comes to a suppressor, I noticed the big process, part of the process, 
is this um, trust. Yep. Now, I help help me understand and help the audience understand. Sure. What is the whole reason why you would want to set up a trust? Sure. To protect you. Good point. So let me give you a little bit of background. So years ago, the trust was considered an entity and there was no background check on an entity. So years ago, like in 2015 and earlier, if you bought a suppressor, now remember um, in the 30s, there was no national database of felons. So your sheriff had to sign off on it. That essentially was the background check when they first created the National Farms Act. Your sheriff had to sign off on it, basically vouching that you're not a felon and that it wouldn't be against law for you to own a suppressor. Yeah. Same way with machine guns. I think. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's the way it started with the form four years ago. The sheriff had to sign it. Yeah. Um, so like in North Carolina, where I grew up, all the sheriffs got together and said, why are we signing these? Like, And they just sort of together said, we're not going to sign them. So people couldn't buy them as individuals because sheriff wouldn't sign off on it. So they would buy through a trust because the trust was considered an entity and there is no background check on an entity. So that's what mm. made, that's what made the trust popular, but to me it was only in places where sheriffs wouldn't sign. It was kind of a workaround. Then the ATF in 2015, 14, 15, they went to e-forms, which is what they have now. It went offline after a year, but during 14 and 15, the only way you could use the ATF e-forms to speed up your process of transferring a suppressor was to use a trust because there was no background check. So you didn't have to submit fingerprints, photo, anything like that. So I feel like they almost encouraged the, the trust because they made it simpler to get approval for that. Mm. So now fast forward. So Obama came in, created an executive order. He said a trust is no longer an entity. It has a person, like a responsible person, just like on your FFL license, you have a responsible person, you had to fill it out. They did a background check on you. It's the you know form nine, it's uh, section B. So the same philosophy with a silencer now. So if you buy underneath the trust, there's a person who's responsible has the background check. So all that background, the benefit of a trust is the entity owns the suppressor. So think of it as almost like an LLC, Mm. but it doesn't have any tax implications. It doesn't have any renewal fees. So think of it as like a free entity that owns the suppressor. So one thing I like is that it keeps the government at arm length sort of because on paper they, in their gun registry, the NFA gun registry, they have this suppressor owned by the name of the trust. Mm-hmm. So that keeps it at arm length distance a little bit. The other benefit is you can add anyone that's 18 or older to your trust after the suppressor is approved and the ATF's not involved. So, like, let's say, for instance, you want to add your spouse or kids that are 18 or older. Now they can use it when you're not there. Trust owns the suppressor. Anyone on the trust who's 18 or older can use the silencer when even if you're not there as the original person on it. And does that speed up the process? No. So what we'll do is like we, like we probably only put you on the trust. Yeah. Once the trust is approved, if you said, hey, I want to add these five people, we have a, like a form to help you add them. Now they're kind of co-owners of the trust, if you will, and they could share it. So you could put Baker on it. He could use it while he's hunting. As long as he's in a state where they're legal, he can use it. So think of it as it allows joint ownership. Uh. But the other benefit is that it allows you to determine who gets it when you pass away. Because right now, if this suppressor is in your name, it's an assay for your spouse to figure out how to transfer. It's the exact same paperwork I do as a dealer. Your spouse has to do to transfer it to someone else. It's an assay. So the benefit of the trust are two things. One, it allows joint ownership, and B, it determines it helps determine what happens to it after you pass away. Now, what I find, though, is most local dealers will not recommend a trust because typically there's more cost involved, and it adds an additional level of complexity for them. 
So a lot of your listeners might say, well, my local dealer said I don't need a trust. And then in their head, they don't need one. So my theory is the trust is the best way to go. I've been doing it almost 20 years. I've met too many people who've passed away and their spouse is calling me saying, what do I do with this thing? I don't want this, you know, and they're, they're like kind of panicky. Um, so that we just do a trust free. So Silencer Central gives every customer a trust free. It's just how our process works. We have a, you know, where we have an entire process built around that. It's basically a, a, something free we offer to you. So if you didn't have a trust and you're an individual and that yep. suppressor is for you yep. and Baker took my gun and he had a, that suppressor and was out hunting with it, there'll be some issues there. Yeah, totally. Legal what would happen to me? So you'd be in possession of a suppressor that's not registered to you. What What does that mean? You know, it, worst case, best case. Uh, worst case, I mean, they have a $10,000 fine. It's considered a tax violation because you pay a $200 tax to buy this. It's underneath the tax code. Um, yeah, yeah, it's bad. It'd be almost, the, it's similar to being with an unregistered suppressor. Um, you know, have it when you made yourself and never registered. But why, why did I do fingerprints with the trust? So the, so in, so Obama created this thing called, the law was called 41, uh, ATF 41F. When they finalized it, it made the trust and it, it changed it from an entity to an individual. So you're now the individual on that trust. So you're the responsible person uh, for it. Okay. So liability ultimately falls on an individual versus yes. the entity. Yes. And don't think of it as liability. Think of it as just the background check for legal possession. Because in simplest terms, when you're buying a suppressor, it's a title transfer. My favorite analogy is just like buying a truck. The only difference is you can't drive off a lot with a suppressor, but with a truck you can. So with a truck, when you buy a truck, the title of ownership is transferring from the dealer to the end user and it has to go kind of through the courthouse. You have yeah. to pay a tax. It's a title transfer. Suppressors are the same way. ATF has that in my name, so it's titled to our business. We're asking them to retitle it to your trust. You have to pay a $200 tax to get it retitled to you or to a trust. They do a background check to make sure you can legally own and possess it, and that's when they approve it. It's just a title transfer. Yeah, that sounds complicated. It took me 10 seconds on an app. <laughs> for yeah. I was like, oh, do the trust thing. I'm doing the trust. Yeah. You got to trust now? Like, yeah, you got to trust. I was like, oh, that was easy. Yeah. That was awesome. No, totally. Yeah, because I thought, I, I can't remember when it was, but I was going to buy a suppressor when I was on active duty a long time ago. And there was this talk in the team room of like, oh, there's a guy in like Delaware who's got a trust that you can set yeah. up. And oh, you, yeah. As long as you get under that trust, and it was super complex and su oh, it yeah. felt super shady. Totally. And I'm like, I don't want nothing to do with that. Yeah. But now it's like um, I did the trust, the fingerprints, the background check, and now I'm just waiting on, I assume, well, actually, this is good for the audience. Walk me through Silencer Central's process. If, if I saw this online, which I assume this is on your website. On yeah, your website, correct. Yep. Bandit if I started. wanted to buy this can online, yep. What's the start point? How, do, how, do, how does it happen? Good point. The process. So the Banish Thirty. If you decide you want that, I always say the best way is just call our team. Because the good thing about our team is they're going to ask you all the different rifles you have. They're going to tell you that's going to fit on all your rifles. They're going to make sure you have the right adapter so your threads match up. So there's education in the yeah, process. Just, yeah. Consultation. You know, our experience is if we interview a customer who bought online and didn't talk to anyone versus someone that talked to someone, they feel more comfortable through the whole process. It's almost like they get some warm and fuzzies from the guys they talk to because they can tell they're gun people, and that's all they do, suppressors all day. Yeah. So you could buy it online, and that's fine. The process works the same. But if you call and talk to someone, they'll help you figure it out. So basically what they'll do is they'll capture all your information over the phone. They'll 
send you the paperwork. You sign it digitally. We'll mail you, Silencer Central will mail you fingerprint cards. We'll mail you ink. You do your own fingerprints. I always say it must be easy because I never heard any complaints. We'll scan those in digitally. We'll have them forever digitally. So then we'll upload your fingerprints to the ATF. We'll upload the paperwork that you did digitally, which included your trust um, up to the ATF. We have to get a picture of you, like they call it a two by two. Some people call it a passport photo, but it's just a two by two. Basically, it's just a someone uses the phone up against the white background. I use a cell phone picture. Yeah, Joe's totally. like, this can't be right. Yeah, no, it's totally yeah. legit. So then we have a program that goes in and cleans it up, turns it into a passport photo, essentially. We upload that to the ATF. We had well, we did the part with you where we have you check it off. Yeah. We like to do that final check of okay, make sure you're not a felon, make sure we got your race right, make sure we got where you're born, your social security number, because if anything's wrong in there, they reject it. So we don't want that to happen because people get upset when it's rejected, obviously. So then we hit submit, and then you're going to get a digital email when it's approved, and then we're going to mail it to which state are you a resident of? Utah. Utah, yeah. So we'll mail it from South Dakota to our location, Utah, and then he'll mail it to your front door from there. And that process right now is taking how long for the ATF side? You know, on the digital side right now, it's about 150 days is what we're seeing on the digital side, which is what I feel sure you did. Yeah. So uh, was that six months? Yeah. So six months. And then the process that you walk through from the time you talk to somebody from Silencer Central to the time that you start the timeline of six months, that takes like a week or two? Yeah, you know, the, the rate limiting factor is just the fingerprints. So if it's a repeat, like if you called one or another one a day, we could submit it instantly. But it's the fingerprints. So we'll do all the paperwork digitally. So it's a matter of you signing stuff digitally with DocuSign. But then it's also us sending you the fingerprint cards. You roll your prints, send them back to us. We scan them in. And once I have the initial trust, yep. now can I buy any suppressor and it goes automatically under that trust? It does, but you just have to do the whole process again. But we keep oh. a copy of your trust on file. And we keep your fingerprints. Yeah, we keep everything on file so we can resubmit it for you. Does it speed up the process second time around? So if I did... You know, traditionally it hasn't. I've seen scenarios where ATF actually has to pay FBI to do those background checks. Oh, interesting. So if you have two or three in the system, even if they're spread out over different months, a lot of times they'll batch them together, push them all through at the same time because they're only paying for one background check. Somebody, some, I don't know if it was you that told me that. Somebody was telling me that... Um, if you want to get it faster, bundle your suppressors together because the bundle is a faster process than just a one suppressor or one can. Is that true at all? I don't think so. I mean, my sales guys would probably like to hear that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back a second. So sure. <laughs> they call Silencer Central yep. in South Dakota. Yep. And then two weeks later, the, the train has left the station. Yep. And you're just basically waiting on it. Yep. To hear back from the ATF, yeah, it's it's that simple. Like, yeah. and I get this in the mail. <clears throat> yeah, totally. Yeah, we yeah. mail it to your front door. Yeah, signature yeah. card. Yeah, U.S. Yeah. mail. You know, some people yell at me for using U.S. mail. They're kind of anti-government, but man, you guys don't realize UPS, FedEx, they won't even let us ship this stuff. I mean, they've come out really hard in the last like year where they rewrite contracts for us and they won't even let us ship suppressors. Really? Yeah. Wait, wait. Who won't allow you to? FedEx, um, Ground, and UPS. What? FedEx Ground thinks FedEx Ground will not allow us to mail a suppressor from our licensed location to the end user, the customer. But they'll let you do a gun to an FFL. I know. From an FFL to an FFL. Because I try to explain to them that when, like, if you send a firearm in to be repaired, they're shipping it right back to you. So it's manufacturer to end user. A lot of times that's across state lines. Yeah. But they won't do it. They're out of it. They're so reactive to customers and, you know, sort of. But USPS. We'll ship it. Yeah. A lot of people hate I use the government, but I'm just like, man, you know, they're, they, they, they'll they still do it. Where UPS and FedEx, they won't do it anymore. 
That's interesting. I like the fact that yeah. it's the government doing it, personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True, true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. If you yeah. screw it up, not on me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's, like, it's the government's like, hey, the government yeah. Yeah. brought this to me. Thank interesting. you. I'm trying to convey to the listener how easy this process is. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah. it's, like, things like this paralyze me. Like, it's like, and I think the, the big thing with guys, we, you mentioned this earlier, is like, am I doing this right? Yeah. But you have someone on the phone with you from Silence for Central, literally walking through a shared screen yeah. with you, yeah, and it's it's amazing, yeah, it's remarkable, yeah. yeah. The integration of technology and just making it easy it, right. it is beneficial. I, I saw that. I, I, you know, we, we we talk about it a lot in education. I want everybody to have a suppressor. The the biggest issue that I see one one people will misunderstand that it's not silencing anything. Yeah, obviously, right. Uh, we don't recommend actually to go so. I mean. There are circumstances where you should go subsonic, depending on what you're trying to achieve. If yeah. you're hunting coyote, yeah. it might be beneficial to go subsonic. But um, you can still use full power and still use a, a can and mitigate your signature. Um, also, not, I mean, if you're doing home defense because you heard a noise and you grab your pistol and you don't have ear pro or peltors on, mm-hmm. be prepared to be deaf if you're conditioned. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe you'll get auditory exclusion. I think in my first gunfight, I got auditory exclusion. And then I realized that was because I was amplified by uh, uh, cortisol and, and norepinephrine, and I was like all jacked up on, on drilling. And then when you're conditioned for it, that goes away. And then I just got deaf. Oh wow! And and dumb. Especially when that, when it happens in a building. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine or confined, that? Any yeah. confined space. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've had a guy shoot a gun inside of a vehicle with me, with no suppressor, and nobody had ear pro on. Mm. And I'm like, wow, this I'm deaf. And um. It's just a huge. I mean, whether it's teaching kids, because when you teach a kid, even shooting a Ruger 10-22, if you get that thing suppressed, it doesn't scare the crap out of them. Right. People who are new to guns, you put a, a can on, and I have a, a Sig Mod X. It, it has the baffles where you can reduce the baffles. Yeah. Like you, it's a what do they call three D printed. Yeah. And you could reduce it to a small baffle. I think the two is the minimum. Yeah. And I use that in home defense because it fits inside of, uh, I got like a Pine World biometric box because yeah. I got two three-year-olds. And so it's safe, but I got it suppressed. I grab it. And if I'm doing home defense, I'm confident that if something happens, um, the, my, my entire family's not deaf, dumb, and blind, right? They, I, I actually have something that's going to uh, work. Um, you guys do suppressors. Yes. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I'm holding these things and they're like, the lightest things that I've ever held. Yes. Uh, and it's titanium. Yes, 100%. What's what's the newest and latest? Because most consumers, they go, oh, yeah, that's a cool, that's a can, that's going to yeah. suppress it. Right. But there are technology and different innovations in, in suppressors. Where's yours at? What, what is this um, technology? So, so our newest one um, is, we're going to launch it on November 1st. Mm-hmm. So it's called a Banished Backcountry. And that is tubeless. So essentially those baffles are welded together. So light. That's yeah, crazy light. It's like a five and a half inch. It's five and a half inch. Jeez. Yeah, it's super light. Yeah. And that's um, for what gun? So that'll work on a 300 realm all the way down to, you know, even a 17, anything less than. Nice. Um, you know, you find a lot of companies for some reason are scared to use titanium. I think it's the expense. It's hard to machine. But we just, you know, starting kind of an area with hunters, a lot of people love that lightweight. It's, it's stronger than stainless. It's super lightweight. Um, you can get aggressive with cleaning. Like these two come apart to clean where you can take the baffles out and just put it in like a CLR, calcium lime rust remover solution. And it just eats the carbon right out. Nice. Yeah, like I, 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 
I get it for military applications or law enforcement. Yeah. Because you're worried about the sustained gunfight, right? Yeah. A lot of rounds to the can. Yeah. And those tolerances got to be uh, significant. But when I think about hunting, especially being educated by guys like Baker about backcountry hunting, yeah. I used to think you take the SR-25, the Night Force SR-25 with a quad Picatinny rail that, that weighs like 50 pounds mm-hmm. with all the accessories. Yeah. And if you want to be a hunter, if you're a good operator, you just take your sniper gun and then you go hunting. Yeah. Until I realized, like, after 40 miles and sawtooth, and I'm, like, walking, and I'm, like, dude, I, I, I want to use anything. Give me a give me a slingshot. Like, I'll use yeah. anything besides this gun. And then um, lighter is better. Yeah, totally. Right? More efficient. I'm doing 100%. proof barrels that are carbon fiber. There you go. That's um, like that, that 300 Ultra of Jamie's. Yeah. Lugging that around Deseret. Dude. It's a bench gun. Oh, wow. It's a bench gun. Yeah. It's heavy. Yeah. And it's not meant to be carried on the. It's God, it was awful. <laughs> God, it was unbelievable. But it was worth it. Bull barrel. Oh man, it's huge. <laughs> oh, it's huge there, gun. I, I know one of the the things that we dealt with in the military, which is um, the carbon blowing back yes. in the shooter's face. Yes. Is there any technology in suppressors now that is pushing that gas out instead of in? Yep. So you know we so we're developing some now that are more like sort of law enforcement focused. The hard part is always the trade off is it is typically louder. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you're using a bolt gun, these are perfect. But if you're using like an AR and you are worried about blowback, you know, I've seen if you get a bigger charger handle, a lot of times that'll help. You can put some silicone around there so it gets a better seal. There's some things you could do to kind of help mitigate that. Um, but yeah, it's the trade-off of then it may not be hearing safe. That's the problem and sometimes. Because uh, a lot of people say, oh, we got low blowback. It's like, well, you're not hearing safe. Well, it doesn't matter. You know, so it's that it's almost like a seesaw, which one, you know, which is the focus. So how do you, I mean, if you told me the decibel range of hearing safe, yeah, I wouldn't remember it. Uh, and I'll think people listening to it would remember it. But I assume there's a decibel range that's categorized like that's going to make you deaf um, or going to hurt your hearing over oh, yeah. time. Yes. So all of these suppressors are under that. Correct. So the, the number is 140 or less. 140 decibels. Correct. Yeah. Some people say, oh, no, no, it's much lower. It, this is talking about just like a single shot, you know, just like that ri- quick rise rate. It's just like, a, you know, if you're working in a machine shop where it's a, you know, that number might be lower, like 120 or, you know, whatever for constant noise. But for a gunshot blast, OSHA says 140. You want to be at 140 or less. Like a 308 is going to be around 170 with no suppressor. 168, 170. Mm. Um, what, what are these bringing it down to? You know, it, it basically depends on which uh, round you're using, but th- these are all hearing safe. So, like, so let's say you put this on a 308. Mm. It's going to take it down to, like, 133, 132 in that range. Yeah. The other thing we haven't really talked about that I sometimes get criticized for not mentioning enough is they cut recoil just as well as a muzzle brake, and a lot of people forget that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so a lot of guys will have like a big rum and they'll say, no, I don't want to take the brake off because I'm going to lose that recoil reduction. And once they screw this on there, like, wow, it's exactly the same as if I had the brake on there. So you're getting the recoil reduction and you're getting a sound mitigation. I, I like cans on ARs too because it, it balances. Yep. So what I, I break it down into two things. One, muzzle flip and yep. then recoil. Yep. Muzzle flip is the muzzle rise, obviously, yep. and that translates with the energy in physics, it translates to the energy dissipating through the bulk carrier group into the mil-spec tube, yep. five points of adjustment. And what you'll see is like, I could take a carbine like this, take my um, my dominant hand, my right hand, my thumb on the outside of it, so I'm holding kind of limp-wristed and weak, 
and break shots, and the gun doesn't do anything. The gun just dips on the rear end. Right. But if you take a can on the front end, mm -hmm. you don't get that muzzle rise because right. it's balanced by weight, but it yeah. also just goes tsh, tsh, and you'll see it just keep it down, which is why we tell people, hey, get an aggressive C-clamp to uh, not just because Kyle Lamb teaches it in Viking Tactics, which is cool, <laughs> but do it so you keep the muzzle down. Totally. But a can does that for you, keeps yeah. the muzzle down. Yes. So, I mean, there's barely felt recoil on an AR platform, which is why you could run the stock high up on your shoulder, but it can balances that whole equation out, right? Yeah, and it helps recoil. I mean, so we talked about recoil, but it also helps accuracy, repeatability, because yeah. of the extra Keeping weight on the level end. On, yes, yeah. Yeah, because they always say, you know, the hole through the middle is bigger than a bullet, so nothing's touching. It's just that extra weight on the end, kind of like the bull barrel. It's That's what makes you have more tighter, more repeatability yeah. on the accuracy. It reduces your split time on target, because yeah. you can stitch five rounds as fast as you can and even get a shot as the gun cycling and settling before it settles. Right. But if it's flat in the same spot, reducing rise, you're reducing split times. You're doing 0.1215 splits versus a gun that doesn't have it. You're waiting for the gun to settle and to, you know, uh, two tenths of a second split. Right. But it's that's a good point. I, n I never even thought about that. What about lastly on the the conversation of of cans? What about um, flash? What's it doing for flash? You know, good question. So typically it's long enough, it's going to absorb it. So you're not going to see the flash come out. And that is something like on our tactical cans, like we're working on a law enforcement can and that is, so it's interesting, military, that, that's, that's a big thing for them, flash. Whereas, yeah. whereas law enforcement is typically not an issue. It's yeah. a night vision thing? It's both night vision and, you know, signature, yeah, visible you see where signature. you're at. Oh, okay. Yeah. Most of these will help mitigate it. A lot of times having a brake on it and then the silencer screws on the brakes. We have another model where brake screws onto the threads and then the silencer screws on the brakes. The brakes help with the flash. Oh. You call it like a quick detach. Yeah. Like I have a Surefire Warcom. There you go. That goes onto a can that adapts. Yes. That's what's helping with the with the mitigation of the flash right I've there. I've never even thought about that. Yeah. So you get the reduction of flash internal to the suppressor yes. before it. So I'm... I am a big fan of just direct thread. Yeah, me too. Yeah. They're, they're more accurate. You, yeah. You, the, it's, it's always going to stop at the, the same point. Them. Yes, it's you always going to stop. Them on. Yeah, me too, 100%. And it's always more accurate, especially for hunting. Yeah, and it, and it reduces the overall length, right? You're yes. Get, you're getting, Correct. Uh, Plus, uh, a lot of times, not only are they more expensive when they have a QD, but then you're having to buy a break for every gun. You know, then you're spending a couple hundred bucks for every gun just to be able to put it on there, you know, whereas if you have a direct thread, it's always going to screw on there. Here's a question, that I, I, and I just thought about this in direct threading this to a 14.5-inch barrel. But if I have a 14.5-inch barrel and I take an NFA, I, NFA item and screw it into that barrel, does that barrel become now an SBR because it's supposed to be 16-inch pinned depending on the state? Yeah, so you would have to pin that suppressor on the end for it to not be. It would be considered additional of the barrel length. So this would have to be yeah. attached to a 16-inch barrel. Oh, no, no, you can put it on a 14.5-inch, and you just have to, like, permanently affix is what they say. Yeah. So you see how it has the ridge there? We'd just drill through it and put a pin and weld it. Got it. Yeah, so it'd be permanently affixed. Then it wouldn't be. But you're right. If it, if you have a 14.5-inch that you just screwed it on, it wasn't permanently affixed, it would be an SBR. So you got two stamps. You got the SBR stamp, and you got See, that's the, how they get That's why it's... God, I know, I agree. So another thing that I did not mention that I think is probably important to the audience is we let people pay while they wait. So a lot of guys hate to pay for something 100% up front and then wait for it. So if a guy calls and says, I only got 100 bucks to put down, that's fine. We don't care. Oh. We're going to submit all your paperwork the same as if you pay the full price. And then we let guys just pay for it while they're waiting. 
Interesting. And we find that when it comes back and we say it's approved, they have come up with all the money. They're happy. Yeah, exactly. They're like, 100%. 100%. It can totally. ship here totally. by tomorrow. Can I get really, a second one right yeah, now? Yeah, totally. And it seemed to really work at shows, right? Like that message of, man, I'm in the boat with you. I'm having to pay insurance on these. I'm paying like half a million dollars in insurance just to insure $100 million worth of suppressors that we're waiting for the feds to approve. So we want them out of there as quick as you do. So we're in the boat with you. We'll, we'll let you pay while you wait. No interest, no fees, no nothing. They love it. What, how much does the process cost? So the feds charge a one-time $200 tax. People hear, hear it called a tax stamp. Yeah. So we, it's just a pass-through. Like people pay us for the tax stamp, and then we pay through the pay.gov when we submit it electronically for them. Yeah. So your process doesn't cost an additional? No. No. As long as you buy a suppressor from us, it's included. Wow. He's got his shit Those together, margins. man. That's great. What's <laughs> well, he just to automate, you know? Like yeah. a lot of uh, like people don't realize a lot of the data entry on the back end, it's automated. Oh. Yeah. I got an idea. I haven't asked permission in, or from you or legal, but um, we should probably give away a tax stamp for that's the people idea. that are, that are yeah. still listening. Yeah, that's a good idea. And, oh, uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So what we're going to do. Oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. You always got to be thinking about these things. So what we're going to do when this podcast drops. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a giveaway on Silence for Central social media. Yeah. This is all being blacked out by YouTube yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, you'll go to uh, Silence for Central, Central's Instagram page, and uh, it'll be up. And you'll I'll probably uh, throw something from the podcast in there yeah. as, like, the yep. answer or something like that. But when this drops, if you're, if you're listening to this, go to, go to Silence for Central's Instagram page. We're going to give away a tax stamp there, and then go to their Twitter and we'll give away a tax stamp there. So we're going to give away two tax stamps. That's a big deal. I've asked no one's permission, but it's too good of an idea to get rejected. <laughs> yeah, so. No, I agree. I think we should give away more than one on each. How many? How many? I think five on each. Oh. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So we're, the, the price of poker just went up. We're five. giving away five tax stamps on Silencer Central's Instagram page, and we're going to give away five tax stamps on their Twitter account. And the rules and regs will be on there, so head over Wait, there. Did you listen. sign up for that? Did you sign up for ten? Yeah, we just said five and five. Oh, five and five. Okay, all right. So Bobby, Bobby Bowden, who was the head coach of Florida State for a long time, yep. he said, "I will never ever punish a player for drawing a penalty based on aggression," and that is how I live my life. <laughs> I, I love, love that. It. I love it. So forgiveness. Don't ask permission. There we go. I love it. But that's a good deal. No, I think that's awesome. I mean, like just listening to everything you've said, like I'm, I'm fascinated. By how thorough your answers are, and just the whole process, and how you created this juggernaut of a company, and it, I don't, it, 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 I'm trying to get my head. I'm gonna have to listen to this thing like five times. Like it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, we still got work yeah. ahead of us because I mean, it wasn't until recently you guys heard about me. So think about all the people who aren't in the industry who haven't heard about me. Yeah. So really, the onus is on me. How do I get it out there? Because yeah. when I get excited is when people call me and go, man, I'm so glad I did this. I love it. Yeah. It's like life-changing. I mean, people literally are like, gosh, I can't believe I didn't do this 15 or 20 years ago. It just makes what they enjoy doing so much more fun. Oh, yeah. That. So it's, like, it's I think it's a fear of the unknown. Yeah, totally, 100%. That, that's, you know, bar the, the barrier to entry is just picking up the phone and calling Silencer Central. Like, that's all you got to do. Yeah, it's easy. And, and, if, and if you're not comfortable with the process or it's not what you think it is, just hang up. Yeah, totally. But it's just one phone call. Yeah, totally. It's easy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's yeah. when a lot of companies are going analog and automated and you're saying, call somebody, a yeah. human being that's yeah. actually going to talk to you, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. No, I, I heard this lady who she's in charge of, like, customer experience. I hired her away from the hospital. Brilliant girl. Uh, brilliant gal. Very well-educated. And... Um, she says, gosh, when we look at the metrics, the person that talked to someone live, 
their their sort of score on satisfaction is almost double the person that bought it online. And I get that some people don't want to talk to a person, and that's fine. But just when I hear people have a great experience, because I also know 40% of my sales are repeats. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, so that's good. Guy buys one, he buys another one. Yeah, totally, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I'm, I'm a customer because yeah. I want to buy a whole bunch of them because <laughs> I figure, like, if I already got all of the paperwork and all the process knocked out, and you're not charging me for it. No. And you're just facilitating the process, which yeah. is smart, a smart business tactic that I need to introduce in some way. Then the product, every gun you have needs a can. Totally. It needs to have a can. Yeah. Um, in closing, I want to get your expertise as an industry expert and what you think your prediction is going to be for this space, the suppressors, the cans, in the next few years. I'm interested to know based on three more years of an election cycle, things kind of shift, new policies come out. What does it look like for us? Are we good? Where is it going to evolve or de-evolve? Where do you see it going? So the big question a lot of people ask me is, do you think these will ever get deregulated? Because I told you earlier, I don't think they're a public safety issue. I think that at some point they could get deregulated the more people have them. Because you see, it's still an educational standpoint. Oh, so the more people that own these, because right now, if you look, I told you there's about three and a half million out there in the space. There's probably a million people that own them. And all it's kind of in a small, concentrated group. But the more people that get suppressors, the more people that are educated about them, the more people that use them, I think there's a potential at some point they could get deregulated where they're a little bit easier to get. But as far as in this space, um, Gosh, it's really catching on. And the biggest obstacle is the process. So that's why we've really doubled down and focus on how to sign what's essential, make the process super simple. I think my prediction is the e-forums goes really well. Um, what has caught them off guard was they had a lot of pandemic paper they got to flush out. Mm. But they're getting twice as many applications as they did last year. Because people hear e-forms quicker, they're in. So I think you're going to only continue to see this market grow. I've seen a lot of people try to launch new cans. You know, my experience looking at big firearms companies, typically they don't get it that it's the process and distribution is the hard part. They just figure they'll put their name on it, it'll work. That hasn't that hasn't always fallen. That, that's sort of fallen apart. Yeah. If you look at other people who've tried that, it just didn't work. Um, I'm not saying that we have something unique, but I think that being like we're, so if you think of Silencer Central, we're a manufacturer. We're a wholesaler, we're a dealer. So we have collapsed the entire process into one. Mm. So these were suppressors were made for our silencer essential to our specs by manufacturers in the US and then they ship them directly to us. So what's great is I have them on the shelf. I don't have to worry about having to go through a wholesaler or pay some kind of upcharge commission to a, a middleman or whatever. So um, I, to me, I think that's the way of the future to be in a situation where when someone calls it, they you have it. Vertically integrated. 100%. Everything. And the reason why I had to do that, to be honest with you, is when I was working gun shows, I always, probably 100% of my sales were January through April. And I couldn't find a wholesaler that could supply me a dealer's products. And typically, if a, if a person starts with brand A, they stick with brand A in the future. Mm. So it made it hard for me if it, one week they had this on the shelf and the next week they had something different on the shelf. So that's when I was like, you know what, I'm going to have to hire firearms manufacturers to make our own brand of suppressors. So that's why we came up with a banish line, was just so that we could have a control of our own supply. Because if you're relying on a wholesaler to provide supply to you, it, it's it's a pain painful situation. Before e-forms came out from a, from a transfer between manufacturer and dealer, it used to be three months to transfer the silencer from the manufacturer to the wholesaler three months from the wholesaler to me, the dealer. So it was adding six months in there. Oh, wow. So that's why we're like, gosh, if we're going to get into the game, we got to just go all in. 
What year did you start making your own? Uh, 2010 as we started making our own. How hard was that? Like, hey, I want to make my own? Good question. Yeah, no, good question. So the first thing I went to is I went to a company in Georgia and I said, hey, can you just make me what you're making and just put my name on them? So in other words, we'll buy the models you already have. Just put my name on them and I'll sell them as if they're, you know, ours. Um, But then as I wanted to start making changes, they were too receptive to changes because it was their model. Um, You know, I was working the Rapid City Gun Show and these two guys came to me and they said, uh, we make all these products for these major manufacturers that's all we do are firearms we both were at dakota arms when it was here in in sturgis south dakota we're interested in making suppressors so what i did is i bought a meter and i tested every silencer that was on the market Um, i took them examples of every silencer on the market i bought one of every model that was the quietest on the market and i said here's the benchmark you got to make something it's got to be as quiet or quieter than the quietest ones on the market and just sort of handed it to them because they're the manufacturers so honestly i've typically given the experts the tools they need and tell them what criteria i want but i've never like really actually designed now we have a whole engineering team now and we design everything internally and work with experts who've already done it but in the beginning, it was difficult because that's just not my wheelhouse. Like the other thing I did mention is Silencer Essentials threads barrels. Um, it kind of gets into that space of if there's any obstacle that's keeping you from buying a suppressor, we want to suppress that obstacle. And what I found at shows, guys would say, now, how do I put that on my firearm? And then you just see their brain turning. Okay, I don't trust my local gunsmith to do that, or I don't think he can do that. So that's when we brought that in-house. So we have an entire machine shop built where we'll send you an empty rifle case. You put your rifle in there. We pay the postage back to South Dakota. I have a machinist who threads it on a CNC lathe. So I have a gunsmith takes it apart. Then the gunsmith gives it to the machinist. Machinist threads your barrel. Then we put it all back in the case and we ship it back to you. We have a two-day turnaround right now. We do about 150 to 200 rifle barrels a day. Whoa. <laughs> That's impressive. Let's, <laughs> let's let's talk about things you fucked up in your career. I know. haven't heard any of those. That's impressive. Isn't I didn't that, realize that. Isn't that real? Are they amazing. pinning and everything? Are they doing all the integration of the on the, all kinds of barrels? I assume it's a whole hundred percent. They do everything. Kind. Yeah, I mean. 95% of everything we get in that door, we can run through our CNC lathe, so it's computerized. It takes 90 seconds to thread a barrel on that computerized machine. It's Crazy. badass. Um, and then we have a manual lathe that we use on some of the like you know straight wall cartridges, things that are a little bit smaller barrels or harder to get a grip on. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the reality was I used to send all of our customers to Shields, um, which is big in the Midwest, to get their barrels threaded. And one day Shields came to me and said, we're going to sell suppressors. And I said, well, it looks like we're going to thread barrels. And it took them about five years to figure out how to sell silencers because it's a lot of paperwork. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to figure oh, out, yeah. you know. Yeah. They're like, can we secret shop you, like be honest with you and tell you that we're going to copy you? And I'm like, good luck. It took them five years. And I mean, they're, they're fumbling through it. But that's what pushed me into threading was the other thing that's interesting is 99.9% of warranty claims that came back to us for baffle strikes were because the barrel wasn't threaded properly locally. So oh, interesting. We essentially interesting. eliminated almost all warranty claims once we said, we'll thread barrels for you. So yeah. zero excuses. Like, you do everything. Yeah, and we let people pay while they wait. And it's like, you know, I don't know. Like you said, we try to think of everything. I mean, we it's a touchless process. It really did really well during the pandemic because you technically don't have to talk to anyone. You can do it all from your couch. Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. nice. So, <laughs> you, a people person. You, <laughs> exactly. you started the company in 2005. Yep. Tell me some challenges that you've run or mistakes you've made, some screw-ups. There's, there's got to be some stuff where you're like, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Totally. Um, you know, some screw-ups I've done, things I've done wrong. That's a good question. I mean, I, 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 
I felt honestly like um, I told you that I hired like a former ATF person to come in and he had been at ATF forever. And the good thing about bringing him in, he had worked in Illinois, so he didn't have any exposure to suppressors. But, you know, six months earlier, he was in charge of everyone at ATF. So he would just get in the room and call people and say, well, how should Brandon do this? How should Brandon do that? He gave me a write up of everything I was doing wrong. And I thought, man, I, I thought for sure, like, the ATF was going to come lock me up and I was going to jail instantly. Yeah. Well, like I said, while it lasted. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Oh, it was horrible. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this many things wrong. Um, but once I studied it and learned it, I'm like, this is all fixable. I mean, these are things that, I mean, it wasn't intentional. I just didn't know, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then once I, once I understood it, like I said, it put me on this life mission of, I want to understand everything about compliance so that I don't do anything wrong. And then I can make our process better every day by understanding it. So that is one point where I felt horrible. Um, you know, I, I had one, it was probably about six months ago where I honestly, like if the ATF calls and says, Hey, typically they don't call, they just show up. And I can't remember the state. I remember them saying, Hey, we're going to come to your Tennessee location or whatever. And we're going to audit you. So we have everything digitally. So I went through an audit myself and I, I honestly thought that we had let a paper form go through where the customer wasn't 21 and that would be a big no, no. So it was a big sort of ethical debate for me, like, do I proactively call them and say, hey, we, we screwed up, I'm coming clean. Do I wait and see if they catch it? Um, what, do I, what do I do, you know? And so I sat down with my team and I said, I'm, I'm gonna call ATF, I'm gonna self-report. I'm gonna just take the, we may lose our license, but it's the right thing to do. Um, and so we got all the paperwork and we sat it down and uh, we realized the customer just typed in their, their birthday wrong. If you looked in the actual fingerprints <laughs> and everything else. So like, I, I mean, I was literally like going to make the call that I thought, man, this could really set the alarm off, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other things where, you know, I got into a pissing match with ATF once. I mean, it was really intense. Um, so it went back to the trust. The way the federal statutes are written is the trust is an entity and there's no background check. And the reason why this impacted me is because if there's no background check, that's how I can mail these suppressors. When there's no background check required, I can mail a suppressor. So when I got my license in South Dakota, the St. Paul ATF said, um, they said you don't have to do a background check when it's with a trust because that's an entity and it's not a person. So then when I got a license in Nebraska, a Kansas City ATF came and he said, you have to do a background check no matter what when they pick it up. And then I couldn't mail them. So it sort of blew up my business model. So I sent a letter to the ATF and said, OK, St. Paul says that I have to I don't have to do a background check. Omaha through Kansas City says I have to. Who's right? Um, and then they came back and said, well, uh, we actually agree with, of course, the more stringent one. You got to do a background check on everything. So that screwed me up because my whole business model then went down the drain because I'd been mailing suppressors in these states that ATF told me I could. And then now when I asked them, can I, um, like, who's right? And they basically told me that you have to take the more stringent. I couldn't mail them anymore. Um, and we felt like the federal law was like in the right for us to be able to mail them. But because they told me I couldn't, I couldn't. My hands were tied. So I had sold suppressors to people. I said, hey, you live in western South Dakota, five hours away. I can mail it to you. Now I'm having to call and say, hey, you're going to have to wait till I'm at the next gun show because I could transfer it to you at the gun show. But it created a little bit of a pissing match because I couldn't. Everyone's telling me federal law backs up what I'm saying, but ATF wouldn't agree to it. So I went to like a really top lawyer who I would say is the best Second Amendment lawyer. He's in Alexandria, Virginia. He's done five cases for the Supreme Court. And I was like, how do I make them listen or get them to respond? He's like, you got to go to your U.S. Senator, Senator Thune's office, senior senator, and you got to get him to put this on his letterhead. And I was like, man, I don't know my senator. I've never even talked to him. So I found his chief. What year was this? This was like probably like 2012. Okay. So, um, Maybe later than that, because 2015 is when they changed the law, so maybe 13. So I, I, 
I, through my lawyer, I found the chief of staff. I met with the chief of staff. Um, now he and I are friends, but I convinced him to put me in front of Thune. Thune agreed to it. We wrote the whole letter. We put it on Thune's letterhead. I had the letter sent to the head of the ATF, and I decided to also include the FBI because the FBI administers the background checks. And if you misappropriately use the background checks, not lawfully, the FBI can get rid of your account, and then you can't be a dealer if you can't do background checks. So we sent this letter to the head of the ATF, the head of the FBI. Within a week, the FBI responded. So, Mr. Maddox, we agree with you. 100%. I was like, heck yeah, this is perfect. Really? Yeah. But then ATF would never respond. They never responded. They waited until they changed the law. When 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 Obama changed the law on trust, making it an individual instead of an entity, they responded and said, based on the recent changes from the executive order of ATF, you know, for so the whole time they knew I was right. Yeah. But they just kept saying, nope, this is our understanding. This is how we interpret it. You can't do this. Man, that created a lot of stress for me because um, I would go to these ATF compliance meetings and I'm like, Guys, how'd you like that? FBI agree with me, and they're like, "Man, we had these offsite meetings and tents, and I mean, they're blaming me for creating all this." But what I love about it is they know that I don't mind swinging back hard. You know, if they're going to push me to do something yeah. that's not, they don't have the statutes that's to back it up. Yeah, totally. It was yeah. awesome. So that's where I felt like I'd really screwed up because my whole business model. I asked the ATF which was right because I was getting two different opinions, right. and then it messed me up because now I have it in writing. I couldn't do it. I feel, feel like these are all things he did well. <laughs> These aren't bad. Dude. <laughs> Those are your Keep giving it man. back to them, man. That's so let me ask you this question uh, before we wrap it up. So when you started this company, yep. did you ever think that it would be as big as it is today? You sold 100,000 suppressors last year. Yeah. Was that a goal? Or was it, you, know, you sold 100,000 suppressors last year? Yeah. Jeez, man. He's got 100,000 sitting on his shelf you right now. You should get now. like a 2A award or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, you know what we're going to do? What? I'm going to make an award. We should. <laughs> we should make trophies. A plaque. Old NRA trophies. Just yeah. rip off the NRA. Yeah, yeah. You put 2A awards. Yeah, yeah. We'll BRCC do that. Yeah. DUA awards. Yeah, absolutely. We did get the Inc. 5000. We're you did? Yeah, fastest, congrats. You know, one of the fastest growing companies in America. Privately wow. owned companies in America, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, did I ever think it'd be this busy? You know, I don't know. I just... Was it the goal? Like, the like goal? What, what drives you? Like, it's not... Man, it's, I'm just competitive, right? It's yeah. Money well, he's got an NBA win, at Duke. Man. I'm a North Carolina boy. He's got an NBA at Duke. He's, <laughs> But Chapel they want to right, man? No. They want to win. But I mean, but like, people love them when they try them. So it's like, to me, it's just like, that's what I loved about selling it to shows. My wife, I'd come home and she'd go, don't you ever feel guilty? Like, because I would really press people to buy one. And she's like, don't you ever feel guilty? And I'm like, no, because once they shoot it, they like love it. They're yeah. like asking me, why didn't you force me to do this sooner? They're like super excited. They love it. Um, yeah, so for me, it's the competitive thing. It's just like, how do you convince someone that says that'll never work? That'll never be easy. That I don't, I've never wanted one. Once they try it, they're like, there's no Ready. person that's ever fired a, 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 a firearm with a suppressor on it that didn't like it. 100%. I know. 100%. 100%. 100%. In the history of mankind. <laughs> yeah, totally. 100%. No one's been like, oh man, this, uh, I don't yeah. like yeah, this. Yeah, totally. well, I, I like it because it's a good gateway for people who are kind of, I mean, you, you have a, a tool that's blowing up in your hands. Yeah. And a lot of people are scared of that. Oh, yeah. And so when we teach new people, it's like, Start off with a lower caliber. Or how about you just start out with a caliber that you want, a 9 mil, whatever it is, and put a can on it. Right. And it makes it a more enjoyable experience for people. I think it's more enjoyable overall for all the things. But uh, I think it's also a good way to kind of bridge the gap for people who are – there's a lot of novice firearm owners now. Oh, yeah. And they're scared as hell. They have the gun. They have all the cool kit. Yep. But they're scared to train with it. They're scared to use it in an actual uh, act or, of self-defense. Or, or don't know how. Or they don't know how to use yeah. it. They don't have the education. About it. When uh, I know that uh, <clears throat> during the pandemic, you know, I know that Mossberg was getting insane amounts of inquiries on how to load pump shotguns. Wow. Crazy stuff. Like, seriously, like, do you have a gun? 
How do we load this? How does it work? Interesting. <laughs> Say that. I'm sorry. What do you, what <laughs> you, oh shit. Yeah. You know, but um, no, it's, I mean, I think more firearms have been sold in the past 12 months, 16 months than previous three years or something. It's just oh, yeah. something completely insane. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So I love it. Um, well, let's close it out. Um, tell the audience where do they go. I assume it's silencercentral.com, but you got a whole bunch of different platforms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, silencercentral.com is the best place. Look around. Um, and I always, like I said, call us. You're going to have a great experience that way. Or feel free to buy online. And then it kind of, then it puts us in the driver's seat and we manage the whole process for you. Do you know the number off the top of your head? I don't. I think it's uh, Mr. Smart Guy. Yeah. You don't know that. It's got to be like it's, a, what is it? It's six oh five. It's eight 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 seven eight one eight seven seven eight. Is he does the, know. Yeah. yeah, yeah do. No, but seriously, it. for those of you listening, pick up the phone and call them. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, don't forget, go to their social media. Yeah, there we go. Because they're going to give away some tax stamps. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Brandon. Yeah. No, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks. It was awesome, and I, I learned a lot about suppressors that I didn't know. And and one of the things was like. Hey, we got Brandon coming on. Like, I have a lot of questions I need to ask, and uh, you educated, I think, a lot of people on the podcast. I'll leave closing thoughts uh, to you. Um, gosh, I mean, we appreciate the opportunity to talk to your group. I think there's a lot of people out there that don't know that much about suppressors. Um, like I said before, just encourage them to call Silencer Central, and you know, maybe the process isn't perfect for them now, but at least they can learn about it and sort of plant that seed. And you know, like each of you all mentioned, once you shoot suppress, you're not going back. So we're excited that eventually they'll get on board. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I love it. BRCC, peace out. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy.